Hey guys, this is Ed, Paul, and Anna of Current Brand Media, and we are here to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor. Sportsball is a great subscription service geared towards minor league baseball fans. Each box features a different minor league team. You get a box every three months with minor league baseball gear, including different styles of hats like Ed's favorite, the dad hat. The cost is less than $12 a month. Proceeds from each box goes to More Than Baseball, the only nonprofit dedicated to the well-being of minor league baseball players. We all know that Parents' Days are coming up this summer. So if you've got a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa who are particularly difficult to buy for, but you know they're baseball fans, this is the answer, guys. Meet your new favorite team at sportsballbox.com. Is there anybody there? <laughs> So my dad says goodbye to his, all his teammates and everything and hitchhikes back to Spokane. So think about the time and the place then. Hitchhikes back to Spokane. Bus continues on the road to road trip towards Seattle and goes over a cliff. What's up, Dad Hat crew, and welcome to the Dad Hat Chronicles podcast. This week, I was joined by John Lorkey. He is the GM of the Alaska Gold Panners. Listen, if you're a fan of baseball, you need to know this team, the Gold Panners. They play one of the most iconic games that has been around for in baseball for a long time, the Alaska Midnight Sun game. That's right. If you're a baseball fan, this needs to be on your bucket list, guys. Uh, on this part one, we discuss his love for the game. Um, we go into, well, actually, he goes into some of the coolest and wildest stories about his dad, um, Lucky Lorky. That's right. You guys got to listen to it. It was a lot of fun. And then also, we touched on, on the Midnight Sun game, just a little bit, right, on this part one. Um, so, guys, without further ado, I give you the episode. All right. Welcome back, guys, to yet another episode of the Dad Hat Chronicles podcast. My name is Ed, and with me, gentlemen and ladies, I have John Lorkey. You, sir, you run one of the most iconic teams, collegiate woodbat teams in all of the U.S., the Alaska Gold Panners. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Ed. Appreciate the invite, and love being here with you. Absolutely. I it's um we were talking offline that um, I was supposed to go up there this summer to go see one of the games and unfortunately uh you know it's not going to be able to happen but I'll make it. Trust me. I will make it up to uh up there just so I can watch a game. It's always been on my bucket list of things to do. So um but let's uh I digress. Let's uh let's get get back to to you. Let's start with you. Um uh, how did you become a fan of this beautiful game that we call baseball? Well, I was fortunate because uh, I grew up in a family that's all about baseball because my dad was in the big leagues. Nice. Uh, my dad played uh, – my dad broke in in 47 with the New York Giants mm -hmm. on the polo ground there and oh. um, actually played on the 51 team, which is the Bobby Thompson miracle of Coogan's, Coogan's Bluff and all that with the uh, home run her shot her around the world and all that so he played there then he got traded after the 51 to the Phillies but uh, no I was fortunate grew up with a father uh, that had you know played major league baseball um, oh. I was born just as he was finishing his minor league career uh, my older brother seven years older than me Kurt he was a, a extremely good baseball player got drafted in 1971 out of Santa Clara 
with the Boston Red Sox, third rounder, uh, 51st guy taken. Uh, he got as far as double A, didn't make it all the way, but uh, I wasn't any good. So I had, to get, <laughs> yeah. I had to get involved in an administrative way when I was in college and got into things like sports information director, stats, radio, press releases, you know, things like that. That's awesome. Oh, so imagine why I might have a little interest in just a, just a little interest in baseball. Yeah, so so we grew up in uh, uh, I mean throughout California, but in my you know uh, younger days uh, near Sacramento and that. So when the Giants moved west uh, and that, we would occasionally go to Candlestick Park, and my dad's gonna say hello to some of his old friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Fox and West 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 Westrum, Willie Mays, um, oh. Herman Franks, um, guys like that, and um, and I'm hanging with my dad. And That's I'm, awesome. You know, I'm in the clubhouse, and there's this guy, and there's Marichal, and there's Cepeda, and there's and you just stand over there. I'm going to say hello to some old friends, and you, there's something to eat there if you want it. Don't mess around, and you and your brother behave yourself. I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, so yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty fortunate. And then there's, there's some stories about my dad that, uh, I won't go too long without having you ask me another question, but yeah, my, there's some famous things about my dad that are, that are quite, quite crazy. Yeah. You know what? I'm not even going to ask you the questions. You go ahead and you go, my friend, I'm okay with this right now. (laughs) Well, if you're in, if you're familiar at all with, uh, with certain areas, you know, obviously New York and that, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so my dad, my dad graduates in 42. None of this is embellished either. This is all like, you gotta be kidding me kind of stuff. It's, I won't, I, cause it, cause it doesn't need anything right. to, to be enough. Okay. So my dad gets out of high school in 42 in Los Angeles, starts his minor league career, um, in Idaho falls. Uh, and the next thing you know, like a lot of guys, he's in the service. He's, he's got to help out. He's got to help out World War II. So, um, he, um, uh, lands at Normandy in Omaha Beach, um, Battle of the Bulge, you know, just like the Private Ryan, right? The movie, and he's up in, uh, up in the Battle of the Bulge and, and all that, and, and he's coming home. <clears throat> he's coming home from the war, and a guy, uh, he still hasn't been on a plane. A guy, guy with higher rank than him is getting ready to take get on a plane, and my dad's like, well... I, you know what can he say the guy with high ranks is hey i'm taking this flight you take the next one and the plane crashes with no what? survivor as he's coming home from the war uh and that's in 45 right i think it took forever from what i've read for those guys to get back from europe too after they finished it was like a couple months for that they finally got back um and then in 1946 he's playing in spokane which is class b-ball yeah, because there's no there's no major league baseball west of St. Louis at that point. Right. Yeah. Is, right. Forty six. So so he he's doing he's the best guy on the team. And, and the rumors are that he's moving up. Yeah. And, but but word travels pretty slow in 1946. So <laughs> uh, not like it does today. Right. Not even close. So <laughs> he's got them. They're going to make the Spokane Indians are going to head toward Seattle to play the Rainiers. And they're gonna they're on a, a bus trip, mm-hmm. and about halfway across, a cop catches up to the team while they're having lunch at a diner in Ellensburg, and says, "Hey, Lorkey, you need to get back to Spokane. You're being recalled. My dad's gonna go all the way to AAA, 
uh, all oh the way to San Diego. You talk about a leap. He's 24 years. Um, no, he's only 22 at that point, at that time. And 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 I'm for, I'm completely fine with this being a lot about my dad at the outset. But um, so then the bus can. So my dad says goodbye to his, all his teammates and everything, and hitchhikes back to Spokane. So thinking about the time and the place, then hitchhikes back to Spokane. Bus continues on the road to road trip towards Seattle and goes over a cliff in mm-hmm. uh, in the Snoqualmie Pass. Uh, it's a very famous thing that took place uh, in Spokane, uh, not outside Spokane at that point, but it's the Spokane team. Yeah, um, nine guys died. Both his roommates died. Jeez. Um, and it took him a little while to get to San Diego, but it was at that point my dad got the nickname Lucky. Lorkey, and there's a lot of people in baseball that know of him, know of that. Yeah. Uh, and then he breaks in in 47 as a rookie with, rookie with the Giants. Um, he does re- real well then. Mel Ott's managing. Uh, and Leo Gaudrosha takes over. But he hit the home run in 1947. The Giants broke the Yankees' home run record for a team for a season, uh, which was like 183, and the Giants end up hitting 221 that year. So they broke it. In a crazy fashion. I even got my dad's ring from that. That's awesome. Yeah. Look at that. You can see the 221 in it. Yeah, look at that. From the side. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he hit the one that broke it. and uh, But as the Giants changed over the years, Leo DeRocher took over. They went out and got some famous guys, Eddie Stanky and Alvin Dark. And my dad's playing time went down uh, pretty good. He pinch hit twice in that 51 World Series. You know, the famous... uh, where the Giants come back and catch the Dodgers about 13 and a half games back, you know, with six weeks to go. So anyway, so yeah, yeah I, this is a, so I wild. A, I wasn't going to tell you. Anything. I said, how much do you know about the Lord? No, I, I, you know what? And I'm literally just like, you know, I, I'm glad that I didn't. A lot of the times I prefer not to do a lot of research on with the people I speak with just yeah. because I wanted to be as genuine as possible. Right. Yeah. Uh, listen, I hope that's this, genuine. <laughs> this, yeah, this is wild. And I'm literally, as I'm talking to you now, I'm lo- on my other screen, and I'm like, all right, let me look up. You know, you know. Uh, yeah, l- you could look it Lorkey. up on the internet and that. Yeah, he passed away in '09. He's in Sports Illustrated. You know, uh, things like that. So it's uh, especially in New York. A- MLB.com literally has Jack uh, Lucky Lorkey cheated death six times. Yeah. So, I mean, you can count the war how many times you want. You know, there's obviously two famous ones with the with the bus crash and the plane crash coming back from the war. But I don't know. You, I got to leave. Yeah, I mean, he was even in a National Enquirer one year. I think it was like 1995. And they did an article like that. World's luckiest man cheats death six times. Prove you're luckier than this guy and we'll send you 250 <laughs> bucks. It's like, I got to believe a lot of guys in the war top that quite easily. But Anyway, they got to make something of it, right? You know what, though? That's awesome. I love it. You know, look at him, like, in his uniforms right there with uh, – yeah. that's awesome. That's amazing. I, yeah, but I, obviously he never liked the nickname. You know, it brought back the memories. You know, it brought back all that kind of stuff. So a lot of mm-hmm. guys in the media, these, I'm sure you're familiar with baseball reference. Yep. Uh, but you know how that's somewhat similar to Wikipedia where you can leave comments and that kind of stuff. And one sports writer called him – you know, years, years, years later, 40 years, 50 years later, mm-hmm. and wanted him to talk about it. Um, and my dad hung up on him. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, how many times 
am I going to be asked this? You know, it, I, it's, guys didn't I, talk about the war. They didn't, you know, they just didn't. And, and yeah. this great, I, I wrote something in, in uh, baseball reference that, you know, basically, you know, he was tired of talking about it. Obviously I wasn't even, you know, I hadn't lived with my dad for a number of years. I'm sure when he got this phone call and he was quite older and, yeah, and you know, he was, he was somewhat done with it. And yeah. And man, that's probably an understatement. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, once you're known for that, right? And everybody keeps asking you over and over and over said again. It, you've said everything you're going to say, yeah. you know, in 40 years. So this sports writer, I can't remember who it is, probably best that his name not come out anyway. But, you know, he, it's like I've talked to a lot, something similar to this, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, something similar. Like I've talked to a lot of guys who, who I'm asking them questions about things they really don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it was fine. Well, you you can't equate a guy that had a five and twenty one season on the mound with a five ERA to a guy that lost a bunch of friends in the war and in a bus crash. You can't. There's you no similarity yeah. there, and that's where he was going with this. And I, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even reply to that. It's like if you don't, if you can't see that from a human. Yeah human standpoint then there's no help yeah just, from the human like, side of things through. like you just he lost friends you know that's been oh my god you know, through so many things that yeah at that point if you don't get it you're never gonna get it so forget it. Get it. Yeah. and i'm not gonna get into a back and forth with some sports writer you know he'll take it and he'll go past baseball reference and he'll write an article in the you know chicago tribune and you know so so yeah you move on there you go. But you know what? Indeed, he was lucky if you cheated death six times. And oh, then man. obviously good for him. And obviously, I mean, I'm looking at some of this stuff right now online. It's 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 truly amazing. It um, is. It really is. <laughs> it's why were we, we going to talk about the goal fan or the All right. What's like? <laughs> Where were we again? <laughs> yeah. But you know what though? All right, we, we got that part of the way. We'll we okay, that later. Way. But I want to know about you. Like, you know, you say that you you got into it, into baseball a different way than your father and your brother. You know, how, from from your standpoint, because like, I mean, I, I I was never good enough to How did you go from California to Alaska? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had, uh, you know, throughout my life, I'm in California. So born in L.A. and that I get into the Bay Area uh, in my high school days and that. And I, I went to Santa Clara University. Uh, obviously the Alaska league gets started, you know, in 60 and that, and my brother ended up playing somewhere in, in Boulder, Colorado when he was in his summer college days and that, um, and I'm not even sure I'd even heard about it at that point. Uh, even though he did play up here, one of his summers, his team came up here to play, but, but basically I, I had helped out in, in the baseball and, and the entire athletic department at Santa Clara. And I'd graduated in, in 79, uh, still working, helping the basketball and the baseball team in 1980. In the spring of 1980, the Gold Panthers were starting another team in Fairbanks because, mm -hmm. and it's still some of it is still out there today. Some of the things that shouldn't happen were just teams kind of butt heads with each other and make it more about that instead of about baseball. And the Gold Panthers said, "Well, we'll start another team in Fairbanks." shared the park with them and the coach who was going to be uh, running the team was coming from Santa Clara. He was the assistant coach. Mm -hmm. So I helped him out of school. I said, well, help me, help me up, you know, help you out up there, whatever you need, you know, stats, radio, let me see if I can get you up there with me. So the next thing you know, uh, I'm in Fairbanks and the gold panners are overseeing all of that. They're overseeing that other team's existence and all that. Yeah. But this other, this coach is really handling all, most of the recruiting. 
uh, and some of the guys from Santa Clara were going to be on the team. Because at that time, in 1980, uh, we were still, Alaska was still the pinnacle of summer baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not anymore. The Cape is. Uh, but it's uh, it was, you know, top notch. So, uh, I mean, I come here in 1980, and I'm obviously a North Pole Knicks. So, you know, that's where my loyalties are. Yeah. But the gold panners, you know, there's Kevin McReynolds. There's Alvin Davis. There's Harold Reynolds. There's uh, Bill Plezak was 1981. There's, I mean, there's half a dozen big leaguers on that team, you know. So I'm just having a ball. Um, and as the – the uh, summer wore on a couple of the business people that, that were behind it all, you know, helping get our organization off the ground. In addition to the Panthers asked me to stay. They said, we don't really, we don't really have anyone with your background and, and baseball and, you know, mm -hmm. that could really keep this thing going. You're going to go home and for this, you know, cause everybody takes off at the end of the summer. We got to right. go back to school. The players go back to school. The coaches go back. Um, no one sticks around. You know, yeah. anybody with any baseball sense isn't going to stay. <laughs> They're like, we're getting out of here. Below, you know, so um, and they asked me to be the general manager of the Knicks. We were called the North Pole Knicks. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably never heard of that team, but it's real. North Pole is a town about 15 uh, miles outside of Fairbanks. Uh, there's an Army Air Force base out there. Fairbanks has, it has an Army base. So a lot of the areas has a lot of military uh, to it. Um so I'm just having a ball. I get to help help run a baseball team at 23 and in Alaska. So I went home that winter because I I hadn't planned on yeah on coming happening yeah and came back March 1st of 81 and and I've been here ever since. So you just said, all right, th this is where I'm going to be and I'm not going anywhere else. Well, what an opportunity, right? You know, I mean. And, you get into California, I mean, and, and, you know, a lot of big areas, so, you know, with higher population, you can get lost. It's like, this is a place for me to kind of make my niche. This is, you know, this is a type of town where I can, you know, do something, maybe make a difference. Not that I couldn't somewhere else, but it, yeah. I just had that thought that, yeah. You know, but there probably wasn't a whole lot of thought to it. It shocked me. And I says, well, you know, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, where do I sign? You know? So I went home, told, told my parents I went home and in uh, that winter and came back and and got That's... off the plane. And there's like no money in the bank. And somebody gave me a place to live. The president of the team, who was a guy out in North Pole, said, you can live with me until you get off on your feet. And there's a desk you can work out. There's a phone and and um, go raise some money because the season openers in about three months. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but we're playing at a park where that doesn't. That's fine. You know, we're we're using someone else's park, so so much of that that is there. But um, yeah, it was a, had a ball, had a ball. I, a lot of guys from the West Coast, so Cal, Santa Clara, UCLA, you know, USC, um, uh, Stanford, um, San Jose State. You know, that's that's where we're getting a, a those lot of were some interesting you uniforms. You don't have to go out of the you don't have to go out of the you know the West a whole lot to put to put a good club on the field. So. Right. Yeah. Those were some interesting uniforms, I got to say, though. Uh, oh, yeah, so, yeah that, a... that first one, I don't know if you see the red one, the candy <laughs> yes. stripes, the red one. Yeah, we were shown those initially. I had nothing to do with that, and I say that. Um, the the man who ran the gold panners, who's the just the pinnacle of general managers for semi-pro baseball, Don Dennis, who's still with us. He's down in uh, Alpine, California, near San Diego. 
he had this, he had just a sense and I was all him or whatever, but he had a sense of doing uniforms that were just out of the ordinary. Yeah. I mean, they'd, wear blue, they'd wear blue pants and all this kind of stuff. So for the Knicks, you got to play up the Christmas theme. Right. So he had something like the Santa Maria Indians used to wear, which is a red, red uniform. But now you put the white candy cane stripes on it and you got something. The players first looked at it and said, I am not wearing that. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I am not wearing that uniform. You go, so you I changed it. I changed it in 82 to a much more traditional uniform that I, I really enjoyed putting together with North Pole on the front, the gray with the red and green. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yep. And then it has to stretch you on the side of, of yeah, the really, going down. Yeah, I kind of combined the Expos and the Mets uniforms at that point, And I think it turned out pretty good. No, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I like those uniforms that are like that from the 80s and 90s. I'm a huge fan. Uh, uh, yeah. Listen, I grew up a Cleveland Indians fan, right? So like, you know, when you see like the Indians, they had the stripe down on the side. Oh, yeah. Everything. Look at the movie Major League, right? So it was like just like that. Great so, stuff. yep. When I see that, then I'm like, man, but yeah, those uh those candy cane uniforms in red and white. Oh yeah. Yeah, those those had to be retired after two years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, ah, yeah, oh, yeah. No, not even anyway. the manager was like, no, I'm not going away. The first year we had hats that were like foam and and trucker hats that snapped and uh, they were they were so bad. But we ended up having a an NP. I don't know if you see that, but we ended up having a dark green hat with a white np on it that was just a oh man oh. it really turned out well i'm uh, gonna need somebody like a 47 brand or new era to come up and you know you know do a little bit of a touch-up on that logo and then release those hats because those would be so cool do you they see it sell. i'm trying to look for i might if i can walk away for about five seconds go for it i might have it behind me man look at the, oh <laughs> Those red stripes are killing oh, me. Just, I'm going to try to put I it on the video. I just got back from California yesterday. There's my dad's old uniform. Oh, my God. Look at that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's my dad's old uniform. I used to wear it for Halloween. That is beautiful. It's got to be 100% wool. I was just going to say, look yeah. at that. That looks thick. Yeah, there's his name in it. Man. Oh, that is beautiful. That is some memorabilia history right there, my friend. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm struggling. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I mean, I'm just it's around somewhere. I'm laughing at, at just at the fact that, like, you know, there's some there's some uniforms out there with with that. And I see the NP. Oh, that is nice. Though the green one. Yes. Yes. I yeah. Like somebody came up with that, and I said, "That's it. That just it flows." You know, just like a P, the Phillies P. I mean, it just yep. kind of. It's really fluid, you know. I didn't want something all blocky, so it looks good. I, um, I don't know. I'm kind of biased. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you. No, I love it. I think that's amazing. You kept the colors, but at the same time, it's like you know, beautiful. Look at that. And then playing in Alaska is that? I'm kind of looking. I think I see a uh, a a picture of 1989. Was that Jorge Posada? No, we hmm. were. The, the team ended in 87. Okay. Now, from my selfish standpoint, the team ended in 87. I got an opportunity. In, in 82 and even prior to that, in 80, I would have met, because he was one of the guys that really helped get the team off the ground, a guy named Ralph Seekins, yeah. who owned a Ford, Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership here in, in Fairbanks. Okay. And after a couple years of 
the typical nonprofit semi-pro baseball, you know, revenue, I went to him after the 82, seven two eighty two season said, I need a job. <laughs> this, this is stuff, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta start eating something better than this, you know? <laughs> and so I ended up working for him for 35 years. And after the, uh, um, at the end of the 87 season, I got an opportunity to get into management mm-hmm. uh, at the Ford dealership. And I put the semi-pro baseball thing aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so prior to um, 2005, I was never really involved with the goal panners at all. I was a North Pole Nick okay. person. And then I set it aside. And then and then he ended up buying a dealership down in toward what's called the Kenai Peninsula here. Mm-hmm. which is another team in the Alaska League, the Peninsula Oilers. And I was actually on their board and was the president of their board um, from like 99 to 2001. So then I moved back up here in 2002 and got on the board, started housing players. So that's when my loyalties for the for the uh, the goal panners started. But the Knicks were, I mean, we had, we had guys you'll know. I mean, we had like 26 major leaguers in seven years. We had Mark Grace. We had Mark Grace, Steve Finley, Eric Karros, Todd Zeal. Um, oh man, we uh, yeah, Luis Gonzalez. I was just I was uh, just gonna read his name, Luis Gonzalez. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Oh my, Blankenship, yeah. Sean Jack Barton, Cruder, Mike Schooler. Um, yeah, some good, good, real good players. Wow, you know? look at that. Yeah, that so, is that's amazing. There's one of the famous. Uh, He's passed away now. It's been a couple years, but a guy who was a Hall of Fame baseball coach out of uh, originally out of college in the canyons, but he was a USC guy. And we had a real the Knicks had a real bad season in '82. I didn't like the manager, and he things could he couldn't come back. The original guy did uh, two years. Mm-hmm. Should have never got rid of him. Uh, I was young <laughs> at the time, and uh, and I. I asked him the guy that I was that couldn't return as the coach because there were circumstances he really couldn't control. And I said, what do you think? You know, I'm, I'm, I need guidance here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, there's a guy at college of the Canyons named Mike Gillespie. And Mike Gillespie is a guy who went on to be, uh, took over for Rod Dato at USC and was won the national championship at UC Irvine. I think he made one one at, at SC. I'm not sure, but um, he put us on the map. He's the guy that got uh, got us going in 83, and he, you know, got his feet wet. But 85, 6, 7, you know, we beat the Gold Panthers two of those three years with, um, you know, we were as good as anybody in the country. Uh, and it was, uh, it, it was it was really, really fun time. 1985, our entire infield went to the big leagues. Wow. Our entire infield ended up going to the big leagues. Todd Zeal, Chris Donalds, Andy Stankowitz. Paul Ferry's Mark Grace. Um, yeah, I mean to think that catcher first, second, third, you know, would all go end up going to the big leagues. That that's the kind of talent that was coming through here. Um, I had Steve Finley and Luis Gonzalez in the same outfield in '86. You know, yeah, it was just it was it was this is where the guys came. You know, that's amazing. Like and and. I'll be honest, like, you know, before I got into what I'm doing now, the podcast and everything, like I was oblivious to other things like, you know, with mainstream media, they'll tell you like, you know, the cream of the crab, all they go to the Cape Cod and everything. But like, you don't know, like, you know, there's other collegiate woodbats, Northwoods League, your league, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's so many leagues nowadays that like there is so many leagues. You're right. 
like so many collegiate woodpad that is so much fun and filled with so many talent right now. It's 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 wild. Yeah, yeah, it is, and there, there is a lot. There weren't just many leagues at that point. Uh, guys either played in probably a half a dozen leagues around the country, or they just played around home. They didn't, uh, you know, they didn't really take off. But Alaska is one of those unique things. You know, if you're going to have a, a future in professional baseball, you're never going to get a chance to come up here and play unless it's in the summer. Mm-hmm. That's when you're going to come up here. And you, as a college player, you'll come up here in the summer. If you get drafted out of high school, you're not going to Alaska. It's a summer college thing. And you're not going to come through here at all if you're if you're in the minor leagues. It's just not going to happen. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty unique that way. And it's just a different experience. There's no way to describe it or have a player say what another player is like. You can't describe the Midnight Sun game unless no. you're here. There's just no way. And coaches have told me that's the best baseball experience I've ever had. That was a, that was amazing. You know, it's so my bucket list, my friend. I cannot tell you how much I want to be there this year. <laughs> oh man, it's like just to be there and to experience that. Like you know, there's so many. There's a lot of things that people tell you, right, about baseball. Oh, you got to go to Wrigley Field. You got to go to Fenway, right? Right. If you really do meet a true baseball fan, they'll tell you you have to go and check out the Midnight Sun game. Those yeah. are the things yeah. that they'll it's tell so you. It's so unique. You know, it's got a small town flavor to it. And it's, you know, it's not cookie cutter. It's not like going to, you know, so many. I, I think it's great what Major League Baseball has done in so many of these ballparks around the country now is get away from what took place in the 80s where it just seemed like so many parks looked identical, mm-hmm. you know. And, and now, you know, I think Camden Yards started it with the way they set their stuff up. And now you see a bunch of it. I mean, you go – you go watch the Giants play in San Francisco now, and you, that park is, is – I mean, when you're walking beyond, up above right field fence and you're looking down on the water of the bay, it's like, wow, it's just gorgeous. It, that, uh, and, but a lot of parks have that now. It's just really really nice to see. You got to – they they have to take advantage of the, like, the skyline or something unique about that area. Like you said, San yeah. Francisco, Pittsburgh, right there, are, you know, uh, PNC Park, right? You got to look at something – Cincinnati Reds, you know, right there by the river – so there has to be something that attracts them uh, to keep coming back. And they are changing. I'm glad that all ballparks are starting to be different. They're starting to, you know, make it more about a social experience uh, and, and, and baseball as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Have those different parks. You know, I think it's cool with Fenway. You got the big green wall, but it's a short porch. You know, you have those kind of things. You got, you got places, you know, at Dodger stadium down the lines where the fence is about, about three feet high. You know, it's just, yeah, there's just some great unique things like that. Oh, that's amazing. So uh, let's talk about that. You mentioned the Midnight Sun game. You know, in your opinion, what, why is it so popular and why is it so you, obviously the one key part about it to be unique is midnight, but like, why is it? I think it's that and the, and the, the fact that you can play a game and start at 10 o'clock and not use the lights we don't need the lights all summer because of how much the sun is up in Alaska throughout the summer. Um, but the one night where we might be able to use the lights is a night where I wouldn't dare turn them on. I'd get shot if I try to turn <laughs> the lights on the midnight sun game. So there's that. And it's the history, how long it's been going. Yeah. You know, you talk about 1906, you know, that's, you know, that's a long time ago. And we actually, during, uh, during COVID, we weren't playing, uh, that summer, but the, uh, we had local, uh, American Legion team 
was going to put together an all-star team and they were going to play the men's league all-star team and they were going to play each other up here. So the, cause the, the, the game itself predates the goal panners by, you know, 50 some odd years. So it's now be a goal panner hosted event since 60, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a brutal night for weather. It was a brutal night for weather, uh, June 21 of 2020. And, um, uh, Legion team actually backed out saying, we don't want to get any kids hurt. It's uh, well, the men's league, I don't care. <laughs> you know? yeah, like, oh, There's not like, a lot of futures there. You know, nobody's saving their arm for anything. <laughs> um, and um, so the men's league ended up putting two teams together and pulled it off and played nice. in awful weather to keep the tradition going um, of the midnight sun game. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool. So this seems to me like a made, or movie right there, you know, that, yeah. that, that I was like, all right, we're going to put it, we're going to do this. Here's what we got to do. I think it's, you know, and the fact that like it continued, right? Like it, there was no stoppage of, of that tradition. Yeah. We, awesome. uh, uh, the, the guy that kind of oversaw the whole thing is on our board of directors and boy, he just, he carried the torch for the whole organization and just the town for keeping that thing alive that, that summer. It was awesome. Ah, amazing. I love that. Hope you guys enjoy that episode with John. Now, make sure you guys stay tuned for part two. All right. Part two comes out next week. We finish our conversation about the gold panners, the midnight sun game. Um, We go into all of the details regarding the baseball league up in Alaska, as well as obviously my famous, not so famous questions that he so uh, had uh, fun answering. So uh, and then, guys, uh, just wanted to make sure that you guys, like I said, following the team, uh, make sure you follow the dad hat chronicles on on pod on my uh, podcast channel uh youtube twitter listen i'm everywhere okay the link is on the show notes make sure you guys are following it is greatly appreciated so uh uh now that i've done all that let's get into the uh dad joke of the episode and here it is why do miners make good accomplices they don't snitch they're good at mining their own business all right all right i'll see myself out and until then guys keep on grinding and always support the minor leagues see ya this podcast is part of the curve brand media network here are some of the other members of curved brand media Hi, this is Ed Rivera of the Data Chronicles. Join me as I interview people just like you and players, coaches, GMs on the path that led you to become a fan of the sport. I'm Paul Caputo, and on the Baseball by Design podcast, I talk to minor league baseball teams, designers, and other super interesting people about what these minor league baseball logos mean. And I talk a little bit about ice cream helmets. What's up, Bucketheads? I'm Anna DiTomaso, and each week on the Baseball Bucket List podcast, I speak with a different fan about their favorite baseball memories, what the game means to them, and what's left to check off on their baseball bucket list. Hey guys, this is Patrick Larson from the Minor League Baseball Hat History Series. And in every episode, I go through the history of minor league teams through my personal collection of hats. You can find me on Twitter at at PatLarson1. I hope you guys enjoy. This is Patrick. And Corey. Of BaseballMapper.com. And we have made an interactive map to help highlight all baseball teams from the majors down to collegiate summer leagues. We want to bring you closer to baseball. So get on the site and find a team near you today. Learn more about Curve Brim Media at 
curvebrainmedia.com.